Good morning. Today I'm reading from Luke 16, verses 1 through 13 in the Common English Bible. You can follow along on page 7 in your worship guide. Jesus also said to the disciples, A certain man, rich man, heard that his household manager was wasting his estate. He called the manager in and said to him, What is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration, because you can no longer serve as my manager. The household manager said to himself, What will I do now that my master is firing me as his manager? I am not strong enough to dig and too proud to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I am removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. One by one, the manager sent for each person who owed his master money. He said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, Nine hundred gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, Take your contract, sit down quickly, and write 450 gallons. Then the manager said to another, How much do you owe? He said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. He said, Take your contract and write 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted cleverly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you'll be welcomed into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful with little is also faithful with much, and the one who is dishonest with little is also dishonest with much. If you haven't been faithful with worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you haven't been faithful with someone else's property, who will give you your own? No household servant can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be loyal to one and have contempt for the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The word of the God for people word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Jill. As I mentioned early on, this is the third week of our worship and stewardship series. We're predicating this on the understanding that we're not a people of of scarcity here at St. John's. For many of us, we're people that have plenty in our lives. We have plenty of time, we have plenty of talent, we have plenty of treasure, and hopefully also plenty of thankfulness. And from that plenty, we also are a people of great opportunity. We have opportunity for this to be a powerful expression in our lives, an expression of our faith in God, our faith in God's mission, and also our faith in the church as the active agent in which God is working out good in this world. And so this series is an opportunity for us to think about these things, the plenty that we have and how it engages in this vision of God's work amongst us and beyond us. To think about what it means for us to prioritize our time to things that are for the good of the world, to give time to the church in a way that makes a difference and proclaims God's name to the world. To think about how we also are a people who use our spiritual gifts here at the church to serve one another, but also to use those gifts to serve the world in God's name. That We have plenty of gifts to be able to do and accomplish what God envisions for us. This week we think about what it means for each one of us to give from the plenty, the plenty that is our treasure, as we give to God's work. I remember reading an article a few years ago about a wealthy man. and This wealthy man was dying of an incurable disease and Part of his journey, he went to his lawyers and visited with his lawyers and he set up a trust account 
And in that trust account, he left all of his money to himself. Now, you wonder why would he do that, or or how did he manage to do that? The why is simply this. He was also working with a local laboratory to have his body cryogenically frozen, right? And his goal was, and his hope was, that medical science would one day be able to discover a cure for his particular disease, and when that happened, they'd bring him out of the deep freeze, thaw him out, cure his disease, And then he could run back to his lawyer, claim his money, and live happily ever after. What I understand, he's still in the deep freeze. Right? Now, when we hear a story about a person like that, we might think some things in our brain. We might come up with some things to describe somebody like that. We might be a little judgmental in it. But we we think of people like that and we might think, how greedy can you be? How selfish can you be? How unrealistic can someone be? How much is that person trying to preserve his kingdom for himself? His maybe potential future self, right? Here's one of the realities that I think we all must grasp, all of us, dear friends. We can buy whatever we want in this world except for one thing. We cannot buy immortality, right? We cannot buy the opportunity to live forever. So what we do in this life matters now and for eternity. What we participate in as the good work for others matters now and for eternity. Now, I know that you and I, we're we're pretty familiar with some people who in our culture have acted out in ways that weren't necessarily good or responsible for other people. You might remember this cast of characters, Kenneth Lay, Jeffrey Skilling, Andrew Fastow, and Rebecca Mark. Who did they work for? Enron, right? Yep. The energy trading company that once was called Enron was basically, as it's been described, a shell game. They used multiple special purpose entities that allowed for them to do energy trading using state pensions and other assets as their funding mechanism while also operating outside the boundaries of what were considered traditional accounting principles. So... When Enron fell, do you remember who fell right along with them? Their accounting firm, Arthur Anderson, went under at that time as well, right? Here's a group of people that were doing damage to others. They were not responsible for others. I remember uh, remember reading a book titled The Tao of Enron, and it was about the story of Enron. And, And one of the things that was problematic was Ken Lay's inability to conceive of the real trouble that Enron was in. Because according to the book, Lay kept denying that they had a fundamental flaw in their business model. He simply thought they had troubles with their publicity. Wall Street had been doing, the Wall Street Journal had been doing some investigative reporting, gave them a little bit of bad press on it. He thought that that was their whole problem, was image management, rather than the fact that they were running a scheme that was about the preservation of their own wealth and not the responsibility that they had to their investors. You might remember this name as well, Bernie Madoff, right? Bernie Madoff ran a $65 billion Ponzi scheme. Did you hear that term, that that number, right? $65 billion 
dollars. And here was his basic mechanism, right? He was an investment guy. He got people to invest in some of these properties or things that he had. But what he promised them were abnormal returns on their investments. Where the average of the market was somewhere between 4 and 8%, he would promise them double-digit returns. And even in the years when the market was down, he was still promising them inflated returns on their investments. Now, in order for him to do this, he had to get more and more capital infused into his scheme so that he could prop up the investment returns for his longer-tenured clients. He'd have to bring in new clients prop up the returns, bring in more clients to prop up the promised returns. On and on and on he did this for several decades. The FBI actually says that he did this for several decades until it got so large that he couldn't balance it anymore. It's reported that in December of 2008, he confessed to his sons at Christmas that his investment company was one big lie. Right? Made up. A person who forgot his responsibility to his investors continued to live a lavish lifestyle while his scheme just collapsed around him, right? I'd suggest to you that we are people, for the most part, who have plenty of treasure, and as such, almost every single one of us, we're careful about that, right? We're measured. We are cautious. We pay attention to matters regarding its use. But do we think of it this way? Do we think of our treasure solely as for our own use? Or do we think of ourselves as responsible agents who act on behalf of someone else when it comes to this treasure? Now, we all know that Jesus is one of those people. He likes to make a point through telling a story. Often it's a complicated story. But he likes to tell these stories, a parable to the crowd around him. Because these are people that can see themselves as part of this story. They hear which person they are. As often was the case, a large crowd of people had gathered around Jesus, according to the Gospel of Luke. And in the mix of this are tax collectors and sinners. They are the the mass of the crowd around Jesus. Standing off the side, Luke tells us, are the Pharisees and the legal experts. They're grumbling amongst themselves as often as portrayed in the Gospels. They say to one another, here is this man again. He welcomes sinners and he eats with them. What is he thinking, right? Jesus takes this opportunity to contrast human kingdoms versus God's kingdom in the telling of a story. The story of a a wealthy man, a wealthy man who's off residing in the city because that's where wealthy men in Jesus' day lived. They lived in the city. They hired an overseer to watch their properties, their farms, their vineyards, whatever it was. That overseer managed it for them while they lived in the city area. The manager was responsible for making sure that the farm functioned in the way that it was intended to, to keep really good records of everything that was going on. The overseer, even though they were a slave, was given all the freedom to manage that property for their landowner. The only thing that they were supposed to do was make sure that they protected the landowner's wealth and reputation. That was their objective. That was their goal, right? This landowner, according to Jesus' story, discovers that his overseer isn't quite up to the task. He's mismanaging his property, his farm. He isn't very good at what we would call the collections end of this, right? So the landowner calls the overseer in to give an account. Bring me the books. I hear you're not doing very good with my business, so I want to see what is going on. But before he brings the books to the landowner, 
the overseer calls upon everyone who owes debts. And then he starts going through the records. How much oil do you owe my master? 900 gallons was the reply. Well, quickly, change that sum to 450 gallons. How much wheat do you owe my master? 1,000 bushels was the reply. Well, how about we change that sum to 800? Some of us might say that the overseer was cooking the books, right? And then bringing them before the landowner. But Jesus says that in this, the overseer was a shrewd character. He does this for a purpose. Now, commentators say that we often struggle with this because it defies our business ethics today, right? But we don't understand the culture of Jesus' day. This was okay in the practice because, first of all, the overseer was protecting some of the landowner's wealth. He didn't let all of it go away. He didn't get just as high a profit margin as he was normally used to, but he was still getting a return. He was still preserving the owner's wealth. And number two, most important, he was preserving the landowner's reputation by preserving his wealth. That was what he was shrewd about. The overseer protected his master's image, and for this he got a reward. The reward was that he got to move on, go oversee someone else's household, and he probably even got a letter of recommendation from him, right? Sure, hire this guy. He might do okay for you, right? Now Jesus wanted his audience, though, to be aware of something in this story. He wanted his audience to hear something in particular. For the Pharisees and the legal experts... He wanted them to realize that they were worried about the preservation of their own treasure, their own image, and that it was costly in them doing that. Right? That's why they stayed away from tax collectors and sinners. It was about their own kingdom and building up their own kingdom and what they served. Jesus, though, we often know, didn't come to protect human kingdoms. Jesus came to announce the kingdom of his Father, the kingdom of God, to help us see in this story then that we're not the landowners. We're supposed to be overseers. We're given a task. We're given the task to preserve God's kingdom, to preserve God's name among the nations, to be a people who go out and proclaim it through the use of God's treasure and how we use that to benefit others, not just ourselves. And that someday, each and every one of us are going to be called to an account for it. To be a faithful overseer of God's treasure. To come and to give an account to God for what we have done in this. What's hard, I think, for many of us to grasp is is we we cannot see ourselves in this model some way. Some, Some of us just think we're part of this human kingdom. It's about serving in the way that makes it easiest for us. And yet we hear the call of God to come and serve God's kingdom to come and be people who serve beyond just our own needs. As Jesus invites the tax collectors and and sinners to serve the kingdom of God, Jesus invites us as well to be people who come and serve the kingdom of God, to be overseers of what God has given to us. Which begs a question, we, we have to think about this, how are we using our treasure then? Are we using our treasure for our own kingdom kinds of purposes? Or are we seeing ourselves as stewards called by God to build up God's kingdom as we use God's treasure for it? Maybe where we start is what we value, right, in this life. And I'm convinced that that that's what it comes down to is typically what we value the most in this life. The question we might ask is, is, do I value the illusions of this world and what I believe this world might offer me? 
Do I value the things of the world the most that, that feed the sensual appetites that I might have? Or do I value being a good steward of God's resources as I participate in God's coming kingdom? Do I see that I can only serve one? Because as Jesus said, we can't serve both. Maybe it starts with just a simple realization for each of us to know who the landowner is and who the overseers are. I read a story this week about John Ed Matheson. For those of you who don't know, John Ed Matheson was senior pastor of Fraser Memorial Church in Montgomery, Alabama. He spent 34 years of his ministry at this church. And when he got there, it was about 400 members. When he left, they'd only increased to 8,600. It was a a small, modest increase in his membership while he was there. But John Ed tells a story about a, a children's sermon that he gave one time. And in it, he invited the kids to come forward and to join him as often as they did. But he gave them one simple instruction as they came forward. He asked them to stop with and ask one of their parents or a neighbor if they could borrow something from them and bring it up with them. And so each little child did this. They brought something up with them. And John Ed took those little items and he held them in his hands while he gave his little children's sermon. And then when he was done with the children's sermon, he started giving those items back. Now, one little girl had borrowed her mother's new anniversary ring and she had brought that forward with her. And she'd given it to John Ed. Another little boy had asked his dad if he could borrow his rather expensive fountain pen. They brought those things with them. Now, as John Ed gave everything back, he gave everything back except those two items. He took the fountain pen, stuck it in his shirt pocket. He took the ring, stuck it in his pants pocket. And then he dismissed all the little kids. He told them, you can go back to your seats, go on. And he went back up to his place where he was standing to prepare to continue leading worship. And the little girl looked at him and said, John Ed, you've still got my ring. Right? And the little boy says, yeah, and you've still got my father's pen. John Ed said, it's okay. I'm only going to borrow them for a little while. The little girl looked at him and said, well, how long is a little while? He said, 10, 20 years or so. Right? The little girl looks at him defiantly and she says, John Ed, you better give me that ring back or my mama's going to come looking for both of us. Right? You think about that. And so the little boy, he wanted his father's fountain pen back as well. John Ed gave the ring and the fountain pen back to the little girl and the little boy, respectively. They went back to their seats. And then he looked at his congregation and he said simply this. He said, these two young children know something that's important for all of us to know today. They let me borrow the ring and the pen, knowing they were not mine to keep. They entrusted me to use them for a few minutes, a moment in time. For us to see that God entrusts every single one of us with God's treasure, not for our own pleasures and use, but for a short period of time, God gives it to us for the purposes of bringing about God's kingdom. To use those for God's kingdom purposes. Now I'm going to say to every one of you, I am so grateful for the many ways that each and every one of you currently participate in God's kingdom. By the giving of your treasure, much of God's kingdom comes forth through us. We do wonderful work in this neighborhood and in our community. But I also wonder and I dream 
I dream about the greater and the broader ways that we could be about the work of God's kingdom. If we would take the next steps in our journey, if we would pursue with greater passion what it means for us to give from our plenty. Here's what I would say to you. If you're going to be shrewd, be so in this way. Be one who realizes and lives by the principle of being a master over the treasure that God has entrusted to you. Don't let the treasure be your master. Be shrewd about those things. Use the money that God gives each and every one of us, the treasure that God gives each and every one of us responsibly and for God's purposes. So here's what I hope that you take away from today. So for each one of us to know, you know, we know we are people who let money sometimes master us. We know people who let money master them. We also know the disastrous results that too often come from people who love money. And it masters them, right? Jesus tells us that God is the landowner. We are the entrusted overseers of this treasure that God gives to us in varying proportion. So each one of us should take up the mantle, the mantle of responsibility that God has given to us to use the treasure that God entrusts to us for the purposes of building up God's kingdom, not our own. So here's your invitation for today, then. For us to think about this. Whose kingdom am I most involved in? Am I involved in my own kingdom? And does my resources and and my checkbook and things like that, is that what it reflects? Or do I find myself about the purposes and the work of God? And that's fairly simple in how it's represented. Because here's the beauty of this story. Nowhere in scriptures does God teach or expect that we use 100% of the treasure for God's purposes. Right? God only asks that we give back a certain portion of that. That God will bless and use for God's purposes. We call it the tithe or 10%. Right? So for us to be able to look at how we give and the way we give generously and how that's being used and reflected in God's kingdom purposes, does it tell a story about what we believe in and have faith in? Does it tell a story about what we value the most? Are we the landlords or are we the overseers? Would you join me in prayer? Gracious and generous God, in this moment of prayer, we pause first to give you thanks and to give you praise. For you have given to us freely of your grace. It has restored us that we might journey through this life in your presence and in your power. And you have also been generous to us. For many of us are people of plenty. Our cups overflow beyond measure. We ask that you remind us in this moment that we are not the masters. We are not the owners of this treasure. We are simply stewards, overseers. That you have entrusted it to us to bring forth your kingdom. And all you ask is that we give back a small portion of it to you. So Lord, help us to be good and faithful stewards. Help us to serve your kingdom because that is where the goodness for all humanity will come forth. And we pray this in the name of your Son and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. And so now as